0: The cross of Calvary, our blessed Savior died, gave His life to save the world from loss. In His pain and agony, for every sin to hide, shed the blood that stained the old rugged cross. T'was His blood, His precious blood, That stained the old rugged cross. T'was His love that paid the awful cause O oh soul, so far astray, Come and blood today In the blood that stained the old rugged cross. To the cross, the rugged cross, they nailed His precious hands, and in death He fully paid the cost. There is pardon in His love for everyone that stands. For the blood that stained the old rugged cross, what an awful death He died to pardon you and. All alone in agony he tossed And a world once lost in sin Can now be wholly free By the blood that stained the old rugged cross T'was his blood, his precious blood That stained the old rugged cross T'was his love that paid the awful the Oh, souls so far astray, come and plunge today in the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Twice his blood, his precious blood, that stained the old rugged cross. Twice his love that paid the awful cost. Oh, so so far astray, come and plunge today in the blood that stained the old rugged cross.
1: Amen. Well, praise the Lord. That's some good stuff, isn't it? Amen. Love that blood that stained the old rugged cross. Amen. Wow. All right, let's go ahead and uh, take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20, verse 29. It's a good problem. I'm trying to put my belt to the next loop to hold my pants up. I'm talking about in, not out. That's pretty good, right? I don't know why. I just couldn't get it to go in there for a minute. I was like, well, it's it's obviously not used to that. There, that's better. I just, you know, I'm going to make sure that everything's... Yeah. all right, so anyway, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, beginning of verse 29. Again, we wanted to take a little bit of time and just uh, highlight that ministry and uh, we'll take some time now and highlight a passage in the scripture over here in chapter 20 of the book of Matthew, verse 29 through 34. Notice it says, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still, called them, and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now the Lord spent his short life on earth serving others. It's obvious. You need not read much of the New Testament to know that Jesus Christ lived his life for others. It would be just a little bit earlier from this passage that he had shared a very valuable lesson with the disciples. Look, if you will, in verse 25 of that same chapter. Here he's speaking now, and we understand that that um, James and John's mama came to him and said, Hey, uh, you know, I would like my sons to sit on the right and left hand of you. Well, the other disciples were not happy with the fact that they had their mom go talk to Jesus on their behalf. And uh, here they are now thinking, Oh, so you guys want the preeminence. You want to be elevated. You want to be magnified. And they weren't real happy with that. And Jesus now shares with them a very simple truth here in verse 25. He says, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus would share this valuable lesson about being a servant and the need to serve and how greatness is ultimately reflected in our servitude, in our yieldedness, in our submission to one another. He now demonstrates it in our passage today. He immediately leaves the presence of them and on his journey, finds someone that he can now extend compassion to and serve and, in essence, demonstrates the very principles and lesson that he had just taught the disciples. No one, no one was more unselfish than Jesus Christ. No one ever gave up more to visit the weary, to reach the fallen, and to rescue those that were in need. Jesus Christ continues to be the ultimate example to you and I how we should live our lives on behalf of others. He provides us with a pattern of Christian service and sacrifice and he gives us a picture of submission and humility that we should all follow. Throughout the region, Jesus went about healing and helping many for for the reason of just simply helping others. I mean, he had no reason to do it. He, he was not going to be better for it. He was already the best. He didn't need a pat on the back. He's God. I mean, Jesus Christ served others. Jesus Christ was a servant just to serve. He ultimately would share with us one of the greatest gifts ever and that was salvation himself in our particular passage the lord meets up with two desperate and thirsty souls here these men would never be the same after having met him and tonight i just want to bring just a message a short message entitled never the same never the same so let's pray and let's consider these two men and our Lord Jesus Christ and how, obviously, our lives have been affected. Father, we come to you. We just ask, Lord, tonight you'd speak to our hearts now in these next few minutes. Be glorified in everything that's said and done. <clears throat> Father, we love you. We, we need you. And, Lord, we owe you everything. Now, Father, take this simple passage and may we learn this very basic truth. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, in the passage, we note the condition. We know the condition of the men themselves. Early on in verse 30, right off the bat it says, And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by. There were two blind men. They're blind men. That means they can't see. That means they're inhibited. That means that there's, there are things that they were unable to perform or do as a result of their limitations. Not only were they blind, however, but the Bible says or expresses the fact that they're very bold. Because he goes on to say that as Jesus passed by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. I mean, these weren't the the supreme uh, leaders of their nation. These weren't men that had attained to some level of preeminence or popularity. These were just blind men. These were beggars on the side of the road. These weren't men that had the right to stop the master by any stretch of the imagination. These were blind men and they were bold men. But we note not only the men, but we see the multitude. (laughs) The multitude, they were rude. You'll notice them here in verse 31. It says, and the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. What are you you crying out about? What are you wasting the master's time for? Why, Why is it that you think you're so valuable and so important that you can cry out to the master? Calm down. Settle down. Just quiet down right now. They were rude, but they were also wrong. They were wrong. Because the Bible goes on to tell us in verse 31 that they cried out all the more. And ultimately we know that Jesus would recognize these men, don't we? I mean, they cried out. They were so desperate. Have you ever been desperate that you cried out to God? I mean, so desperate that, that you felt like your heart would break and only God, only the Lord Jesus Christ could truly impact and make the difference in your life. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. These were such men sitting on the the wayside. There he comes. They know it's the master. They don't know what else to do. But they've been begging all their lives. They found themselves limited in what they could accomplish and what they could do. There was no public assistance. There wasn't a way in which they could live a nice, comfortable life. They went out begging every single day. Oh, just please, somebody, give us something. Don't you see we're blind? Oh, alms for the blind. Alms for the blind. And here comes Jesus. And they crowd, Jesus, master, thou son of David. A son of David! A son of David! David, son of David! Oh, be quiet. Sit down. Don't make such a ruckus. The master doesn't have time for you. But not only do we see the condition, but we note the compassion. Look in verse 32. And Jesus stood still. And called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? <laughs> I often think sometimes, I, I, I think about the questions that Jesus asked people. I mean, what in the world, why in the world would they be crying out to Jesus? They're blind. What wilt thou have me to do for you? Well, we'd like a more comfortable bed to sleep in. No, they're not going to say that. I mean, I know Jesus had to know these were blind men. Jesus had to know what their great need was. He's asking them a question. He knows exactly what their need is, but he wants them to verbalize it. He wants them to say it. He wants them to look at him in the best way they can and say, You're my only hope, and here it is. You, don't, you, you know that Jesus knows your hurts and heartaches. You know that Jesus knows every need that you have. And yet the Bible says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Jesus goes to these blind men and he simply says to them, What will ye that I should do unto you? Not for you, unto you. Well, they go on and it says, And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Maybe they said that too. He, maybe he had them say that too so everyone around could hear exactly what was going on. And so there'd be no mistake what happened was exactly what they requested. That they were indeed blind and that now they would see. But notice he goes on, verse 4, 33. They say, Lord, what, that, thou, uh, that our eyes may be opened. And Jesus, the Bible says, so Jesus had compassion on them. Isn't that wonderful? He had compassion. You know, what is compassion? Compassion, I mean, if we can just boil it all down, make it as simple as we can, is just caring for others. It's caring for others. Jesus cared about others. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't don't read anywhere where a disciple came over and was trying to encourage these blind men. I, I I don't hear about anybody else that was, you know, trying to, you know, comfort them or bring them encouragement or help of any kind. No, I, I don't read that. But what I do know is that there was the Master. We're talking about the Creator of all the universe. We're talking about Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. He passes by, and He hears them crying out, Lord, oh, Lord, I have, oh, Lord. He has compassion on them. Because, see, the thing that Jesus hears that we don't often is the hurt and the heartache inside. Compassion is caring for others and a heart that hurts for others. See, a a compassionate heart yearns and longs for the well-being of another. He sees past the apparel, the Lord does, he sees past the speech or the attitude. He he probes the innermost recesses of the mind and soul. He knows the mind of the man and not merely the mess he's in. And so often, if we're not careful, we look at the mess and say, you got where you deserve. That's where you deserve to be. That's your fault. Good luck. Deal with it. We're so compassionate, aren't we? You know, a, a man or a woman that's involved in 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 sodomy and they end up with AIDS or some problem like that and we have the audacity to look at them and say, oh, shut up, you got what you deserved. Now, we won't say that out loud, but we may think it. And may I say to you, I'm glad that in heaven today, that's not how Jesus Christ feels. I'm so sick of the self righteous Self-glorification that we like to put ourselves in. Everybody else is beneath us. We are so right with God and everybody else is so wrong. Aren't you lucky, God, that I give my best to you? And we don't even realize we're not giving our best. Don't you just grow weary of the self-righteous attitude so often demonstrated by people? Who claim to be Christian. That bother you? Well we don't act like that here preacher. Okay so maybe. Maybe we do a little better than others. But may I say the temptation in all of our lives. Is to look at people and say. They deserve what they get. And may I say to you today. God expects us to be like him. And have compassion on people anyway why is it our heart doesn't break when someone breaks God's heart? Why is it that we're so happy that they're miserable when they break God's heart? Maybe we don't have the compassion God intends us to have. Think about how you broke God's heart. Think about how you rebelled against the God of heaven. Think about how you and I were the enemies of God and yet He still had compassion on us. Now I understand we can't step in sometimes where God has already stepped out. When God steps out and is dealing with a person and even in a sense at times chastening another child, we need to be careful that we don't step in and try to bring comfort to that child in the midst of daddy chastening. But most often, if we'd be honest, that's not what we deal with. We look at the lost so often, and we look at those that are hurting and in need of help. We look at those that are blind because, really, the blind man represents the lost man, really. And if we're not careful, we almost are like, you're getting what you deserve. You stinking atheist, go ahead and burn. I mean, if we were really honest, so many times we take a position that is so contrary to what God's character and being is. And we treat people without compassion if we are not careful. Jesus had so much compassion. He knows your heart and he knows my heart. He understands our greatest need. He sees past the outside and he looks to the inside. He's keenly aware of our greatest sorrow. That pain, that that hurt, that disappointment, that fear, that struggle that you face. He knows exactly what it is. And thank God, He is so compassionate. He's so concerned about it. And He cares so much. And He wants you to find relief. And He wants you to be free. Sometimes we do, we get what we deserve, and and understandably so. But I believe even God, the Heavenly Father, when He chastens us, the Bible says He chastens us in love. Because down deep, His real desire and goal is that we're right with Him and in a position of blessing again. We have examples of Jesus' great compassion through the Book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-six, and when the multitude, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. <clears throat> it's interesting to note that that multitude he's talking about would ultimately cry, "Crucify him!" They would hang him on a cross. They would literally strip him of his life. He already knew he was going to Calvary and yet he could look on the very ones that would place him there in a sense. And I know he willingly laid down his life but they're the ones that cried crucify him but he had compassion on them. If you knew a mob of people were going to kill you would you have compassion on them? I know I'd struggle with it. I'm just being honest. I'd struggle a lot. Matter of fact, uh, I'd be like Peter. I'd probably pick picking me up a sword. Matthew fourteen fourteen and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. I wonder if, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there was cancer back then in those days. I mean, it, it would seem that there probably was. They just didn't identify it as such. But there's a lot of things we do that can help bring cancer about, don't, don't you agree? I wonder if somebody was abusing their body in a sense there in those days, and Jesus looked upon the multitude, and, and they had a disease, a direct result of the, the, that they, they had allowed their body to be, you know, maybe, we might say things like smoking or drinking at some point in our life or involved in things we shouldn't be involved in, and it causes us to ultimately have some prolonged problems and chronic issues and I wonder if Jesus in those days healed anybody that did anything unscriptural, as their body was hurt or needed healed because of anything unscriptural. I wonder. See, I don't see anywhere where he picks and chooses. When he, multi- he heals the multitudes, he's going around healing people. My point being is, and what I think I'm trying to say is this, I don't know that Jesus looked at a man all the time and said, okay, well, you deserve what you got right now. Good luck. Deal with it. You don't. Here, let me heal you. I won't heal you, I won't heal you, I won't heal you, I won't heal you. Because, you know, let's face it, the most of us get what we deserve. Let's, let's just be honest. We get what we deserve. So there wouldn't have been a multitude to heal, probably. Now, I mean, some people are born blind, right? I mean, we understand that. But, but I'm just saying, it seems that there's a lot of people being healed. i got to believe there were some of them that had maybe even taken advantage of the body God had given them, and they needed a healing, and Jesus looked at them with compassion anyway. So we see compassion all the time. We see in Matthew twenty thirty four. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. I, I was talking to the singles this morning, and I, I made a statement, and I hope I can say it right, but we were talking about some things like, for instance, dating or, or standards. And I said, before you say, well, show me in the Bible where you can't do this. I said, why don't you start asking the question in the Bible, uh, in, instead of asking where in the Bible does it say I can't do it? Ask yourself, where in the Bible does it say I can do it? You know, I get a little weary of that. You know, it kind of bothers me. Every time somebody doesn't want to do something that is old-fashioned Christianity, they say, show me the Bible where it says I have to do that. Or show me the Bible I can't do that. Well, you show me the Bible where you can do that. I mean, isn't the Bible the, the, the basis of our faith and practice? So you should for everything you do, you should have a scripture. You should be able to go to it and be show us biblically and scripturally why you do what you do. So if you say, Well, I don't agree with your standard, I don't agree with that, well then show me why yours is right and mine's wrong then. Don't quit telling me to show you why what I believe is right. You show me what you're doing is right then. Because when I show you what I believe is right, you say, Well, that's what you believe. Well then you show me why you do what you do. And you know, I think that about this compassion thing maybe a little bit. Sometimes we look at people and we go, well, I'm going to have compassion on the people God tells me to have compassion on because I don't want to mess up things if God's dealing with them. Well, why don't we just have compassion on people unless God tells us not to? I mean, why don't we flip it around a little bit? Why don't we just look at the world and say, I'm going to have compassion on the multitudes. And if God says, I shouldn't intervene, I shouldn't step in in a certain area, I won't. But until then, I'm just going to have compassion. And why don't we flip that around? See, I have a real problem keeping money in my pocket. My wife's always like, oh, great. You gave your money away again, didn't you? Because I'm a real, I'm a real, it's easy for me. Somebody has a need and they stop in the office. Of something, you know, know, hard luck story and you know it's not true. I mean really You you pretty much know it's not true Almost 99% of the time You know uh, You know how it is I got stranded over here And my family's over here And and I need gas money To go pick them up And and, you know The car I have You know I just lost my license on it And my job just I lost that And you know But I was really You know I was working for You know uh, uh, You know Nassau Until I lost my job And you know You get what I'm saying I mean it's like Are you kidding me This just isn't adding up But I'm one of those guys. I, I don't know what it is. I can't give them church money because we don't really have money to give people like that. We don't just have money to give to people. So, unfortunately, and I don't really think it's unfortunate because I, I serve a God's bigger than my wallet. I, I go, well, here's what I got. And usually I don't have a whole lot. <laughs> and I find myself usually giving whatever I got, or at least a portion of it. I don't know why. I just feel like God will bless me for being compassionate. I just feel like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I'm just feeding the cause of ignorance in their life. I don't know. But here's what I think. Unless God tells me not to do it, I'm just going to have compassion on people. And you know, there have been times he's told me not to do it. There's been times he said, don't help them. And I'm like, whoa, okay. not used to that one. Don't buy them groceries, don't get them shoes, don't give them money, don't do... And I go, okay, that's your business, Lord, that's on you. But our Lord had compassion on people. What does compassion look like? Well, let's see what it looks like from this passage. Look, if you will, the Bible says Jesus stood still. Now, he had compassion, so compassion upsets our schedules then. Jesus was headed somewhere. Jesus was on his way somewhere. But yet he stood still. He stopped in his tracks. Why? Because he had compassion on these two men. So obviously compassion upsets our schedules. It rearranges our schedules. It changes our schedules. You say, I have compassion on people. When's the last time your schedule's been upset for others then? Well, I don't go that far. Well, Jesus did. Also, notice the Bible says he called them. He called them. Compassion takes the time to focus on others. I mean, he stopped and affected his schedule, but then he took the time to stop and focus, to look at those two men directly. Compassion causes us to take time, but then to focus on others, specifically others in need. Number three, he asked them what he could do for them. That's a scary question, isn't it? That's a scary question. Uh, What can I do for you? If there's somebody sitting there with a real need, get ready, they just may ask you. I'm amazed sometimes how we glibly say, hey, anything I can do for you? And if somebody says, yeah, can you do this? We think, you're so selfish. It's all about you. I mean, I, I would never ask anybody to do that for me. Come on. I mean, I don't know if you've been, I, I felt that way. I have got to admit, I have felt that way before and thought, what? You asked me to do what? Sure, I asked you, but you would ask me to do that? That's crazy. Come on, that's so self-centered. It's all about you. Wait a second, I'm the one that asked. So he asked them what he could do for them. So compassion genuinely cares. I mean, it legitimately wants to know what the need is. I was telling the guys the other day, I don't know who I was telling, but I told them, you know, at our doors, we shouldn't ask people, or we shouldn't say, how are you today? We should not ask people that walk in the doors of our church, how are you today? Because the truth is, we really don't care. I mean, are we, are we kidding ourselves? Who in the world as an usher has time to sit and listen for 10 or 15 minutes to the woes of one person? So if you're not prepared to listen to people and legitimately care about what their real issues are and how they're really doing, then we shouldn't ask the question because we're not being really perfectly honest. And not only that, but nobody that visits Community Baptist Temple, especially, is going to go. Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me share what's been going on in my life. My wife left me. My children, and right down the line, um, no, they're not going to do that, are they? So, really, in a way, why do we ask? Why don't we just say, "So happy that you came to me. So glad you. To, we just want to welcome you. You're so glad to have you with us today. We're so happy that you came." That's really more what we really want to do, isn't it? Because, see, and, and again, ultimately, we need to be prepared. When I say at the end of the service, if there's anything we can do for you, and watch this, I always say, if there's anything we can do for you, we'll, we'll do our best to, to do that. We'll do our best. Well, you want to know what? Because I can't do everything people ask. I had somebody call the other day wants us to pay their bills. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I really wish I had money to, to do that. Uh, if I, by the way, if we had money to pay people's bills... I'd have to have somebody that just took the time to research everybody's situation. You, now, listen to what I'm saying to you. Because I, we I have to be a good steward of the money at Community Baptist Temple. So if we ever get an account where we can actually pay people's bills, then we're going to have to help people with how to pay bills. Because a lot of people get in the same position every month. If it's not this bill, it'll be another bill because they don't know how to spend money or they're spending what they don't have. So we would have to help them with that. See, I would feel as a steward of the monies of Community Baptist Temple and your money, if we said we're going to have a, 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 a fund where we're going to actually help people pay bills that call in and have needs, then we have to be in a position to counsel them financially, or they will be right back in the same position again probably in a month from now. Now, I know that sometimes you say, oh, that's none of your business. Just have compassion. Okay, it's your money now. Let's take a collection, and I can just give it out however I choose to whoever I want whenever I want then. You say, well, that's not, I wouldn't, I don't think that's right. I would like to, I'm a little more concerned about where my money goes. Exactly. See, I can do that with my money because it's my money. I can throw it away. And I know this guy's going to walk down the street probably and he's going to buy a, a, a case of liquor with it or something. I, that's his business. That's my, I just, I'm having compassion. If God wants to do something about it, that's his business. If he tells me not to do it, I won't do it. But if I want to give that money to that man and I say, here, whatever you got, go buy food with it, go buy, yeah, I don't even tell people what to do with it. I just here. You know, you're telling me you're using it for cab fare. (laughs) Here it is. Okay? But if it's your money, I don't feel I have the right to just do what I want with it. So all I'm saying is that would have to happen. But wait a second. If we're going to ask people what we can do for them, then we need to actually care. And then finally, he touches them. The Bible says he touched them. Compassion gives. It doesn't stop with a simple, what can I do for you? It follows through and does the very best it can to meet the need. Now, Jesus Christ had unlimited resources, so there wasn't one thing he couldn't do. And that's the guy we really need to be going to regularly and consistently. But there's always times, and I'm going to say this, there's not one person in this room who may not find themselves in a position where they need someone to help them. And I'm not just talking about God at some time. I'm talking about people. We, we We are... we are all capable of being in a position where we are desperately in need of the help of others. Now, we've got to close this thing. The last thing I want you to see is the change. This is so wonderful, isn't it? The change. Wow, I mean... The Bible says Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed Him. They, They were changed forever. When the Master touches you, nothing is ever the same. Their complexion was different. Can you imagine if you were blind and all of a sudden Jesus comes up and touches you and you can see, you'd probably, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. No, you'd be like, I can see, I can see, (laughs) I can see. (laughs) I just put my eye out. (laughs) I mean, you will go crazy. You'd be so happy, you'd be laughing. and. (laughs) (laughs) Their complexion was different. Their countenance had changed. They were healed and they were happy and filled with joy. Their perception changed. They saw things differently now. They received sight where once all they saw was darkness. Now they see the world in a whole new light. Not only their complexion and perception, but their direction changed. Notice the Bible tells us that they followed Him. They were headed in a new direction. I just want us to realize that when the Master touched us, whenever that was. Because the blind man represents the lost man. And I don't care how old you were, and it doesn't matter what state you were in or the situation you found yourself in, but when the master came by and you cried out for mercy and he touched you, you're forever changed. Nothing's ever the same. Never the same. And it ought to be accompanied in it. It will be accompanied immediately with a different countenance and a different attitude, a different perception. We'll see things in a different light. And we'll go in a different direction. You're here tonight. You have a real desire, obviously, to follow the Lord. <laughs> That's great. You want know why that is? Because there was a time in your life And he walked by. He sought you out. The best thing you did was just hear him. Is that the Lord? Lord, is that you? Oh, God of heaven. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. Save my soul. Take me to heaven. Oh, God, come into my life. Crying out. And he said, never the same aren't you glad we're never the same you may feel the same sometimes you may say trust me i look the same and maybe even worse but you are never the same once he touches you never the same you are new creatures in christ you're more than conquerors you're seated in heavenly places in christ jesus You are never the same when He touches you. I wonder if you've been touched by the Master. If you've never been touched, you need to be touched. And that means you need the salvation that only Jesus Christ can bring to your life. And if you have been saved, then allow that salvation and allow that touch to be lived out in your life. You're not the same, so don't act like it. And if there's one lesson we can learn from the Lord is to have compassion on people. Be considerate of others and their needs. and Be patient with people, understanding their hurts and heartaches. God help us. Father, we need you. We thank you for just the privilege that we have to gather today. And Lord, Father, we just thank you for.